Quick disclaimer, there is some stronger-than-usual violence, including some dismemberment this week. Not graphic, but it is there. Please check out the post on mythpodcast.com for more info. This week on Myths and Legends, we're wrapping up the story of Hrolf, the Viking who hated fighting, but who did it all the time anyway. We'll see an epic battle of dragons, Vikings, dwarves, and zombies, and that if your best friend is constantly betraying you, that might not be a healthy relationship. The creature this week is a monster from Japan who just wants to give you a massage with its flabby, gelatinous tail. This is Myths and Legends, episode 321B, The Peacemaker. This is a podcast where we tell stories from mythology and folklore. Some are incredibly popular stories you might think you know, but with surprising origins. Others are stories that might be new to you, but are definitely worth a listen. Last week, King Hragvid's kingdom was conquered by King Eric and his evil wizard advisor, Grim Ocean. King Eric made a deal with the princess Ingebjörg of the kingdom he beat and allowed her three years to find someone to joust his champion. Meanwhile, Hrolf grew up as an outcast from his own family, eventually left, and despite hating warfare, ended up leading a Viking band and eventually protecting Jarl Thorgny. The Jarl learned of the beautiful Ingebjörg when a bird dropped one of her hairs on his lap at a ball game, and Hrolf took the quest. Hrolf beat and enslaved William, a clever warrior he met on the road, who quickly beat and enslaved Hrolf. Now, they're making their way to the burial mound of King Hrygvid to retrieve his armor and sword, the only things that can beat King Eric's jouster and win Princess Ingebjord's kingdom back. Wind's a little strong, Hrolf yelled to William on horseback. When the wind pulls trees from the ground and flings them through the air, that's a bit of an understatement. The two had left the morning after the feast, and Hrolf wore his magical cloak and took Atli's spear. Hrolf walked beside William's horse, and William wasn't in any particular hurry. His goal was to find a nice tavern on the way and relax while Hrolf did the work. In the first episode of this podcast, I talked about how, in folklore, there's a here and then there's a there. There's civilization in the wilderness. You don't know where the border is, but you know when you've crossed it. When trees started flying at the pair of travelers, during a blizzard in the middle of summer, it was pretty safe for them to assume that they crossed that line. I think we should turn back, William screamed over the howls of the wind, the ice cutting his face. That wasn't all that cut his face. Rolf dodged the tree that came flying, but when William and the horse took it full on, Rolf sighed and turned around. He knew exactly where to find William in the snow. Ow! William screamed when Hrolf found him. Hrolf lifted the horse off him and, yeah, that leg looked bad. He told William to climb on top of the horse corpse and he would pull them both. He attached the ropes to the horse's hooves and dragged them through the snow. As the mound grew in sight, Hrolf looked back to the unfortunate horsicle. The horse was gone and he had lost William somewhere along the way. He 
thought about the way to William, living William. Yep, he knew the way. William was fine. And if he wasn't, well, happy accident. But Hrolf didn't feel like he would be so lucky. He said a quick sorry to the horse, dropped the rope, and let the snow take him. He saw the mound. It was nearly impossible to miss it. It was the size of a mountain, according to the story. And as if a magically enchanted mound that was defended by a blizzard needed any extra help, there was a stockade of sharpened logs standing all around it. Rolf's heart beat quicker and quicker. He knew that this had been designed to be impregnable. Once he was over this wall, he had no idea what horrors lurked inside. The walk up was enough to kill most men. And he could only imagine what lurked inside would be worse. Draugrs, dragons, the monsters who had thrived in the dark, dank corners of the earth since before time itself. Rolf breathed deeply and leapt. And found himself nose-to-nose with Hregvid, the late Ghost King, floating there all breath of the wild-like. The wind and the snow stopped. Hi, Hrolf said, backing up. You're quite welcome here, Hrolf, Hregvid said. Hrolf was about to ask how Hregvid knew his name, but what would even be the point of that? Ghost King guarding his burial mound? It made sense that he would know. The Ghost King revealed that he had been responsible for the weather. He had to keep those away who might get the armor for Eric, who had put his daughter to the sword. He told Hroth that he had actually been behind the whole quest. He took his daughter's hair to Jarl Thorgny. He knew that Hroth was the only one who would step forward, and that Hroth was the only one who could save his kingdom. The Ghost King gestured to two sets of the armor and one sword. First was the actual armor, keep it secret, keep it safe, and all that. The other was the armor that he would take to Eric. It was a fake. Eric would lock it up or destroy it himself, if he could, to ensure that no one could beat one of his big four, Sorkvir. When Hrolf picked up the armor and hid the sword inside his cloak, King Hragvid breathed. He said he tried. He did his best. And when his time came, he trusted that he did all he could. He knew his death was at hand, and he faced it trusting that he had taught his daughter well enough so that, in his absence, she might save herself. And she had. Nearly. She walked a narrow path. But she was nearly there. She only needed Hrolf. The old king looked Hrolf square in the eye. He spoke with authority. But the budding tears betrayed his fear. Don't fail her, the king commanded. Hrolf nodded. He wouldn't. Oh man, you would not believe the battle we had. Me and King Hrygvid. William took a drink of his mead while sitting before the bemused King Eric. I got there after leaping over the stake wall and King Hrygvid, knowing that I was not to be trifled with, awoke and challenged me himself. The sigh burst from the burial mount, and his red eyes glowed in the darkness. William held his sword up over his head, pantomiming the battle. And yeah, in the story, William describes basically a boss battle from a video game. In his version, Hrygvid was a giant troll, and he barely managed to kill it. He kept Hrolfspit, where Hrygvid called him a capable successor and worthy of the armor. 
and William laid the armor before King Eric's feet. In reality, Hrolf had found William huddled beneath a tree, under three blankets he had packed because it, he got chilly. It was easy enough, with the king inside his burial mound, trusting that Hrolf would be what his daughter needed to finally defeat King Eric, the storm had broken. By the time Hrolf found William, the sun was hot and the snow slushy. William was still recovering, and he perked up when he saw the armor, the fake armor. Rolf gave it to him, but the wonder of the completed quest was quickly overwhelmed by the fatigue of having to walk. Because walking was hard. He was actually tired by the time he made it back to King Eric's kingdom, which helped to sell the battle. I mean, it didn't. The king suspected that William was a con man, and not even a good one, but he couldn't refute the story. The man boulder that accompanied him, Hrolf, only spoke William's praises. And William had returned with the armor. So Eric had no choice. William was to marry his sister. I mean, he wasn't. In the original, King Eric gives them a third task, slay an actual giant from Jotunheim, who had been menacing their land. Hrolf put on William's armor and killed the giant right there in front of Eric, who thought it was strange that William's biceps grew three sizes that day, but there was nothing he could do to keep delaying it. He finally agreed, and William was married to Gita, without any objection on her part. As the story tacks on there at the end, which, you know, truly a magical romance, William had a swarm of servants and was, quote, full of his own importance. Literally the morning after he was married, Rolf shook William awake. Hey, I'm leaving. We're done, Rolf stated. William winced. What time was it? 4.15, Rolf said. Bye. William called after him in the dark. Hey, he wasn't going to, like, betray William and take revenge on him for betraying Rolf and taking revenge on him, was he? Rolf said no. He had honor. William breathed. Oh, good. Wait. Hey! The light by the door flashed and faded, and Rolf was gone. So, what was that? Gita asked her new husband. Were slaves allowed to just declare they were leaving? I am a just master, my love, William said. He wasn't, but whatever. It was Rolf's time. William said that he was only keeping Rolf in the kingdom out of sheer strength of will and also strength. But the man was a thief and a murderer. It was time for him to go. William? Well, William had other things to focus on. The pair kissed. We'll see William quickly find himself in over his head, evil-wise, but that will be right after this. Bombas makes clothing designed for warm weather, from soft, breezy layers you can move in with these, to socks that wick sweat and cushion every step, which means whether I'm at the grill in the backyard or riding a bike, whether or not I'm sweating, which is constantly because I live in Ohio in the summertime, I'm actually comfortable because of Bombas. Especially with their no-show socks. Oh, yeah, those are your favorite. They are. My Bombas no-show socks are made with breathable yarns and silicone grips that make them not fall down, which makes me happy. They're so good. I wear them pretty much all the time. Whereas I say, 
Bombas underwear is the way to go. And yeah, we're going to talk about my underwear. Seamless, tagless, everything Bombas makes comes that way. So it's ultra soft, not itchy, and 100% worth it. Best of all, for every comfy item you purchase, Bombas donates another comfy item to someone in need. That's because socks, underwear, and t-shirts are the numbers one, two, and three most requested items in homeless shelters. Thoughtfully designed, better basics. That's Bombas. Go to bombas.com slash legends and use code legends for 20% off your first purchase. That's B-O-M-B-A-S dot com slash legends and use code legends at checkout. Bombas.com slash legends, code legends. Mental health matters. Even though it's not directly visible, it is so important. That is why there's Cerebral. Cerebral is a 100% online mental health service that offers therapy and medication management for anxiety, depression, insomnia, stress, burnout, and more. And it's here for anyone looking for help with their mental health, no matter where you are in your journey. Could be a major life event you're processing, or maybe work-life balance feels a little out of balance. It can be tough. But therapy is here for big things and little things. With Cerebral, connect with your therapist on your own schedule via computer or the Cerebral mobile app. I think 80% of members see a provider within five days, and Cerebral has affordable treatments that are about a third of the price of traditional therapy, with options available with or without insurance. Cerebral understands that finding a therapist isn't a linear journey, too. So if your therapist isn't a match, they'll help you find someone who meets your needs. And for Mental Health Awareness Month this May, you can get an exclusive 50% off your first month of therapy by going to Cerebral.com legends. That's Cerebral.com legends for 50% or more off your first month of therapy. For quality mental health care that's accessible and affordable, join Cerebral today. So William was lazy, he was a liar, a thief, and generally untrustworthy. These guys, though, they were next-level evil. William sat next to King Eric at the assembly. He didn't understand why Eric let Princess Ingigerd have so much free reign in her kingdom. Eric was, yeah, straight-up evil. He should just be evil. In just the last year, Grim Ocean and Sorkvir pulled a Thor and launched a pointless attack into Jotunheim just to you know, mess with them. Unlike Thor, they didn't wet their pants and end up with a whetstone lodged in their foreheads, true to Norse mythology, and took over a large swath of giant land with their evil magic. At the assembly, William was the closest to King Eric. He was family, after all, and the big four berserkers sat on either side of them. Today was the day. They would see who would volunteer to joust Sorkvir to decide the fate of Princess Ingigerd. The princess had asked that Eric call the assembly, and he did. She sat on the opposite end of the packed hall and then stood. She grimaced and said that there wasn't much in the way of selection here. William could see that King Eric's plan of thinning out the heroes had worked. The only ones left were like the Luke Skywalkers, the ones that were early on the hero's journey types, farm boys looking to prove themselves. Oh, and him... He had a cloak over his eyes, but William recognized him immediately. When Hrolf threw back his cloak on the princess's command and accepted the challenge, King Eric stood up in protest. That man wasn't eligible. He was the slave of the king's brother-in-law, and William wouldn't allow him to ride against his own family, right? William? William smiled sheepishly. You see, 
The thing was... In that instant, William could see it on the king's face. Eric's worst suspicions about William were confirmed. He didn't know how William had managed to coerce Hrolf into winning him Gita, but he knew Hrolf was the real power. William could see that the king was afraid. And he had every reason to be, because the next day, when Sorkvir was thrown from his horse and his neck was broken all in one motion, and Hrolf was declared winner on the spot, the king was frozen in shock. Everything he had done, three years of preparation, and Sorkvir was dead in one hit? He had everything. How? How had this happened? He turned to William. William got the armor. Grim Ocean said this was the way, that no one could beat Sorkvir unless they had King Hrygvid's armor, but the king shook with rage. William never got the armor. He had never even entered the tomb. Hrolf had, and he had given William a fake. As the confused audience gave a jerky, hesitant clap, Eric took a deep breath and closed his eyes. When he opened them, he turned to his advisor and whispered something William couldn't quite make out. Then he turned and faced the crowd. You try not to be evil. You do. You try to do the right thing and only press the woman into marriage against her will after you've exhausted her little word game. But then someone has to come along and ruin it, Eric said to no one in particular. He said he should have listened. Grim Ocean said he should have just been evil from the beginning. Well, now it was time to be evil. Rolf knew they were there. It was difficult to hide 40 grown men with lances in the bushes. No matter how much they trained at the king's hide-and-seek games, Eric threw down a hand. The signal. A small army rushed from the forest, right at the already bloodied Hrolf. Hrolf wasn't ready, but Dulcifel was. As if further cementing that fate was on Hrolf's side, Dulcifel, the horse that abandoned King Hrygvid in his time of need, and on whose back the late king never lost a battle, allowed himself to be caught and ridden. He also, according to the saga, bit a good many of King Eric's men to death and had, quote, eyes like balls of blood. I don't need any extra help being uneasy around horses, but the blood eyes imagery, I think, raises more questions than it answers. Rolf wasn't thrilled about any of this. Remember, he was about as close as it gets to a Viking pacifist, despite his now legendary body count, and winced as Hrygvid's sword never missed, slicing through the armor and everything else of anyone who approached his horse. The whole party, the one that was organized around watching someone die, was thrown into bedlam when many unplanned someones died, and the observers didn't want their name to be added to that number by an exceptionally bitey horse. King Eric took the long way home that day, that is to say, he ran screaming for as long as he could, took a five-minute break, and then kept up with both of those. When he did finally make it to his castle, he learned two things. Rolf was gone, and he had broken into the castle, taking Princess Ingigurd with him. Eric screamed at William. This was all his fault. William scoffed him? How? He had been deceived as well. Oh, wait, no, no, he understood. If he hadn't brought Hrolf to court, the armor would still be in the burial mound. No, that made sense. Yeah, it was. He he did bear teensy bit of responsibility. Like, like a tablespoon of responsibility. You're in league with him, 
King Eric shook his head. It was the only thing that made sense. Grim Ocean, the evil wizard, whispered in the king's ear. Eric nodded. Yes. King Eric stood, pointing at William. Outlaw. He declared William an outlaw. William, though, raised a hand and interrupted the king. No. No, he would make this right. He made a solemn vow on this day. He would never get into Gita's bed, his wife's bed, again, until he brought King Eric Hrolf's head and the princess herself. Eric said that that's... He's describing exile. He definitely wouldn't be allowed to stay here and sleep in the same bed as his wife. That's... That's exile. I will not sleep. I will not cease until I bring him to justice, William declared. You're still just saying more words for the phrase being declared an outlaw, the king pointed out. He didn't care what William did, but just to be clear, William would never be able to stop because he'd have people hunting him because they were legally allowed to hunt him now. I shall leave immediately, William cried. I will return successful or not at all, William said and stormed from the room. The room nodded. What an honorable man. He made a mistake, but he took responsibility and he's doing whatever it takes to make it right. He's, he's spinning it. He's an outlaw. Whoever wants to kill him can. No rules. Just like, you know, treat yourself to a murder. It's not, it's not even murder, King Eric said. But no one would hear him over the slow clap for the hero who was going to bring the princess back. Please, 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 please. I am so sorry for enslaving you. Please. William groveled before Hrolf after he caught up with Hrolf and Ingigerd about two days out, sleeping off the path, the same way he and Hrolf used to sleep off the path on their travels. To be fair, though, you enslaved me first. I was never actually going to burn you alive in your bed that time, William said. Hrolf told him to save it. It was fine. He understood. William just wanted more than the world told him he deserved. He didn't know William's past. William had never spoken of it, but he knew enough. William was desperate for more than he was told he was. Rolf smiled and slapped him on the shoulder. He wouldn't make William squirm. Whenever William was ready, he was putting dinner on the spit. Rolf hesitated, then turned around. It wasn't anything personal, but he needed William's sword. Just while he traveled with Rolf and the princess. Rolf laughed. He didn't want to wake up with that thing to his neck. Again. William was all too happy to hand it over and trust himself to Hrolf's protection. The trio traveled in peace, and though Ingigerd told Hrolf that that guy was absolutely up to no good, Hrolf vouched for him. They would get back to Thorgny, their quest was nearly complete. William was nothing if not a man who looked after his own survival. He would be a good extra eye on the road. William did, eventually, win Ingigerd over too, and by the end of the week, the three were chumming around the campfire. It came time for bed, and Hrolf demonstrated his knight-like honor when he put a sword in between he and Ingigerd on their pile of leaves. I've always thought that this was a bit silly. I get that it's symbolic and that you really have to value chastity to voluntarily sleep with an unsheathed blade. It just feels like it's mostly for show. 
That is, unless you're being attacked in the night. There was a crash, and William was the first one up. He bravely stayed as hidden as possible, like a brave little mouse, and rolled over to where Rolf and Ingigerd were sleeping. Rolf! Rolf, wake up! It's Eric's men, they found us! Ingigerd was awake. There was no sleeping through Vikings crashing through the brush, and she shook Rolf. He wasn't waking up. His chest rose and fell. He was still alive. He was just out. William took a deep breath. Give me the sword, he said, looking out in the darkness of the forest with trepidation. William could see Ingigerd hesitate. He said, please. Rolf had been a true friend. She could stay here and try to wake him, but William would do what he could, what he must. It was the least he could do, after everything he had put Rolf through. Ingigerd nodded and moved out of the way so William could grasp the sword and go fight to the death with William's berserkers. But as soon as he touched the sword, William could only laugh. Ah, that was so easy. He thought that the woman who had been able to forestall King Eric's conquest with only her words would be a bit more clever, but she fell right for it. Yikes. Don't worry, he wouldn't tell anyone if she wouldn't. Ingigerd shook her head. What was going on? What about Eric's men? Oh, I, I like just threw a log in the woods. William shrugged. Turned out it was easy to spook people if they were already worried about being captured or killed. Ingigerd shook Rolf, but William told her that that wouldn't do anything. Was she familiar with sleeping thorns? She shook her head. What sort of like Harry Potter D&D nonsense was that? William fiddled with something on the side of Hrolf's neck. He said he had been the brother-in-law to the king for six months before Hrolf messed everything up. He had been able to find all sorts of curiosities from faraway lands. Some were worthless trinkets, but the sleeping thorn? This sleeping thorn was the real deal. He only had one, so he was glad it worked on someone Hrolf's size. William dragged the sword of King Hregvid over to the sleeping, supine form of Rolf. Don't kill him. He didn't kill you, Ingigerd commanded. William thought about it. You know what? She was right. Rolf had always behaved honorably with him. He would do the same. So he only cut off Rolf's feet. Ingigerd screamed, but that didn't stop him. Despite the weight of the sword, William managed to separate the legs at the ankles. When it was done, he threw down the sword and picked up the feet, stuffing them in a bag that was immediately colored by a quickly growing dark spot. William went through Hrolf's bags until he found his own sword, then proceeded to hold it to the princess's neck. He said she had a choice in the matter. She could either come with him to Thorgny and back up his story completely or die here. Like most of us probably would, Ingigerd chose the not dying option. Always a good option. The pair started their journey toward the court of the Jarl. Ingigerd looked back on the sleeping, bleeding form of Rolf and cursed William under her breath. Then she just like cursed him out loud. No sense in protecting his feelings, he knew how much she hated him. We'll see how William tries to spin this to all the people that love Rolf, but that will, once again, be right after this. 
With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply. It is a tragedy, of course, William shook his head, after he told how Hrolf had died in Eric's betrayal, after defeating Sorkvir. He had managed to recover Hrolf's feet as proof, and said that that was all he could get, despite the story not really telling how he explained all that to the Jarl. Still, since they were old friends, Hrolf had told him about Jarl Thorgny's quest and promise. And William did bring back Princess Ingigurd, so... Jarl Thorgny nodded. Of course, of course. William could marry his daughter, Thora. They would have a double ceremony. Oh, wait. The Jarl turned to Ingigurd, asking if all this was true. She said it... it was. William was no more likely to tell the Jarl more lies than anyone else. The Jarl arched his eyebrows. Wow. Honest guy, then. Ingigurd then asked for something. A month. It had been a traumatic thing, losing her kingdom and the man who had saved her. Could she have that before the wedding? The Earl shrugged. Sure. Why not? What was a month, right, William? William asked how this concerned him. He was marrying Thora tonight. Actually, right now? Was right now cool? The Earl laughed. What? No, they were wedding buddies. William said that, really? Was that a thing? Because in his opinion... Quote, no notice should ever be taken of a woman's whims. The cold court said, whoa, whoa, okay. Uh, they weren't down with the overt misogyny of saying stuff like that. Only the subtle misogyny of Jarl Thorgny giving his daughter away as a prize for someone bringing back a woman he could marry. The Jarl rose, a month, they would have a month. Stefnir, Hrolf's old shipmate, turned to William. The ladies shall have their way, even if I die for it. He wasn't taking the loss of Rolf well. William shook his head. What was that guy's deal? Then William saw the mythological dwarf that whispered in the Jarl's ear. Wait, what was that guy's deal? For Hrolf, the pain of having his feet cut off definitely, definitely won out over the copious horse bites on his neck, but it was close. Dulcifer had refused to be saddled and ridden by William, and the man knew better than to try and force it. Horses of any type are kind of scary, and this one had blood eyes at one point while he was biting a bunch of guys to death, so yeah, they, they'd walk. Even though the horse was trying to be ginger, Horse bites hurt. It did get the sleeping thorn out, eventually. And Hrolf awoke to meet the new reality, same as the old reality. He had been betrayed in his sleep by William. Again. But he wasn't dead yet. He used the sword as a cane and painfully made it over to Dulcifer, who allowed him to climb up. Together, they rode for the Jarl's realm. 
But they didn't go all the way there. Rolf didn't want to deliver himself right into William's clutches, especially in his weakened state. He knew enough now to not underestimate William for a third time. Instead, he went to the estate of a friend, Bjorn, the storyteller. Inside Bjorn's mansion, he found a whole scene. Before anyone knew he was there, Rolf saw a mythological dwarf kissing Bjorn's wife. Rolf saw Bjorn huddled in the corner watching, and Rolf decided that, you know what? He would ask one of his other friends. He didn't want to get into the middle of whatever this was. Curse you, Mondul Patterson, for taking my wife and turning the Jarl against me, Bjorn yelled before he started weeping. Uh, what? Rolf reflexively asked from the corner. The room turned. Hi, Bjorn, Rolf said, and then collapsed. The second time Rolf woke up that day, he was much more comfortable. The mythological dwarf from Svartalheim was numbing his legs. Rolf told him to come here. He needed to say something. The mythological dwarf did, and found Hrolf's fingers around his neck. The dwarf managed to say that he was healing Hrolf before he couldn't say anything at all. Who are you? He's Mandul Patterson, Bjorn said, wiping his tears from earlier. Mandul Patterson nodded, mouthing, Mandul Patterson. Okay, no matter how many times you say Mandul Patterson, that name doesn't make sense to me, Hrolf told them. As Rolf relaxed his grip, Bjorn told the story. And it's long. It's another few chapters we're not going to go into. But Mondul showed up from Svartalheim, the world of the dwarves, and conned the Jarl into thinking that Bjorn was a traitor. You see, his goal was to marry Thora, the princess, but Bjorn saw through it. So Mondul decided to destroy him. And he did. Bjorn was falsely accused of stealing Thorgny's belt, a belt planted on him by Mondul and was three days out from execution. Meanwhile, his wife was bewitched into thinking that he never existed, and she and Mondul struck up a relationship. Now that Hrolf was back and strangling Mondul, Bjorn's fortunes had reversed. Hrolf relaxed, and Mondul Patterson dropped to the floor. Things moved pretty quickly after that. Mondul swore to help Hrolf if Hrolf wouldn't take revenge for how Mondul treated Bjorn, and messengers were sent in secret to the Jarl's betrothed. She arrived, throwing back her hood and throwing her arms around Rolf. She also came bearing feet. Rolf's feet. She had taken them from wherever Thorgny kept the decaying feet of his retainers and brought them to Mondul, who was all too happy to use his dwarven magic to reattach them and not die. He really wanted to emphasize the not dying part, just so they were on the same page. Rolf stayed Bjorn's hand and let Mondul Patterson leave. But before he did, he said he knew what Mondul wanted. When he sailed east, would Mondul help lead them? Mondul nodded. Rolf rose, once again on his own two feet, and said he had to pay a visit to an old friend.
William was in chains within minutes of Hrolf's return. Hrolf, though, needed to know, why? Why was William like this? Why was he so relentlessly duplicitous? William looked down to his feet because Hrolf, Hrolf was it. Hrolf was his way out. Hrolf asked what he meant by that. William sat back. He met Hrolf on the road. He already had a set of armor, a sword, but those weren't his. No, he was the son of a farmer couple. His mother, well, his mother either forgot about him or didn't want to raise his father's ire. As for his father, well, the man had never wanted to be a father. He let William know as soon as he could what William was. He was nothing to his father, a farmhand that he could work without ceasing. And if William died, well, one fewer mouth to feed. The first time William refused, he met his father's hand. The next time, he couldn't get up for three days. This went on for years, until he was a grown man. He could see that this would be his life. So, you ran, Rolf said. In some way, he understood. He had dad issues too, uh, nowhere near Williams, but yeah. <laughs> William chuckled, no. He didn't run, he burned down the farmhouse with his parents inside. That met with some wide eyes around the room. He stayed there for a few more months, alone. But he started to worry about visitors. Then he had one, a man rose from the ground. Darkness surrounded him. He called himself Grim Ocean. He was the one who gave William the sword and the armor. He told William he would give the man everything he ever wanted. He only needed to stop someone. Someone named Hrolf. So William tried. He told Hrolf he was sorry. He only wanted more, a life where he wasn't afraid, where he was in control, where he was free. He thought, after all this, maybe he could be an honorable man. But his past never stayed there. He looked up to Hrolf as the tears began to fall. William said, what a life, what a marriage, what a kingdom. He asked his old friend to spare him. He was sorry, now that Hrolf knew the truth, knew him, he, William, was free. Rolf, with tears in his own eyes, nodded. Of course, old friend. But Rolf wasn't the Jarl, and Thorgny could see that his best warrior was in a very toxic friendship. He, the Jarl, did what had to be done, and scheduled William's execution. The story assures us that he was executed in a horrifying and painful way, though it doesn't tell us exactly what that was. Now that Ingigerd was able to speak freely, though, she said that she had never pledged herself as prize to the victor over Eric. And even if she had, there hadn't been a victory over Eric. Her father was still unavenged. Jarl Thorgny smiled. He knew. He told the rest to follow him. They all found waiting horses nearby. Not Hrolf, he had to walk. Bilsifal was somewhere. 
but the rest of them rode into a nearby valley to find the encampment. More than 10,000 warriors waited, people who followed the Jarl, but also allies, kings. Hrolf would lead them east. All of Scandinavia would band together to fight Eric, not just to avenge King Hrygvid, but to put a stop to a rogue king that had grown to the point where he was a danger to all of them. So, Hrolf agreed. One final quest, one final battle. Then, he would hang up his sword. For good. His former Vikings, from when his ships had docked in Thorgny's land long ago, rode with him in the lead longship, along with Mondol Patterson, who had appeared and agreed to help him with the magic side of things. So, they made their way east. Mondol attached a string between the boats. Hrolf would guide them. With the ring the elf woman had given him, he wouldn't lose his way. They simply needed to stay with the lead ship no matter what. And they would live. Well, on one of the nights, they heard the attackers sailing for them. The men at the rear said Hrolf was a coward and a fool for falling one of the dwarves of Svartalheim. They cut themselves free and attacked. They sailed right through the illusory ships, and they died, looking up at the giant walrus Grim Ocean had summoned, blocking out the moon and body-slamming their ship. When they arrived at their anchorage, Mondol commanded them to set up tents as soon as possible. They did, right before a blizzard hit. Mondol went to work on some runes, and before long the blizzard stopped, and the seven wizards in the nearby forest ran screaming into the sea. Rolf looked at Mondol, making a mental note to not mess with that guy again. It was the eve of battle. Hrolf reviewed his forces before they attacked the fortified town the following day. It was a good thing they left when they did, because Eric, was le- because Eric was leading a force of his own to attack them. Talking over the battle plans, Hrolf asked, who was shoring up the left flank? Mondul looked it over, uh, let's see, ah, that was King Sturlock. Hrolf said, wait, King Sturlock? Sturlock the Industrious? Mondal laughed, yeah. Mondal was surprised that he even showed up. The man was ancient and had four sons. Five sons, Rolf said, and ran from the tent. Dad? Rolf swallowed hard. Sturlog turned with a grin. Hrolf! Boys, it was Hrolf! The rest of his family ran to hug him. All four of his brothers. Hrolf stood there, wooden for a bit. He didn't know what was going on. Sturlog explained that they, they didn't have to come. But when they learned that Hrolf was leading, they joined up and brought everyone who owed his family support. They wouldn't miss it. They were so proud. Hrolf said he, thanks? This was all really weird. His father had never said those words to him. He thought his father would laugh at him for becoming a warrior after all. Hrolf kind of fell into it. He had only wanted a peaceful life. His father knew that. The father shrugged. 
Rolf had to come to his own life his own way. He understood that now. And besides, his dad said, wanting peace, that right there is the best reason to fight. He managed to keep a straight face for a few seconds before breaking out laughing. Wanting peace. What about stuff? Or Valhalla? Or fighting because fighting ruled? Uh, he would never understand the kid. But he loved Rolf. Rolf, that night, sat and did something he never thought he would do. He drank, talked, and laughed with his dad and brothers. When he left after midnight, he saw something on the edge of camp. A man, a man he had seen before. It was the ghostly visage of King Hregvid, Princess Ingigerd's father, the one who had given him the armor. The ghost turned and left, and Hrolf followed. They were nearly there when Hrolf realized that he knew these lands. These were the lands where King Hregvid's burial mound sat. They were nearly unrecognizable, not covered in snow and death. Rolf nodded at the ghost, the one standing in front of his own tomb. Hregvid said he could rest now, now that his son-in-law will be avenging him. Rolf said, whoa, Jarl Thorgny was back at his kingdom. It was Rolf leading here. The king said, well, if for any reason Jarl Thorgny doesn't marry Ingigerd, Rolf must. That was his last dying wish. Rolf said he had no interest. And then his shoulders slumped when he saw Hregvid unable to get back into his own tomb. Really? Hregvid was going to do the trapped between worlds thing if Rolf refused? Hregvid nodded. Yep. Is that what Rolf wanted? Wanted him to be trapped between worlds, between life and death, unable to move on, wandering the earth forever. Rolf said, no, okay, so you're going to marry my daughter if Thorgny won't? Rolf said, yes, whatever. The king smiled a contented smile and began to dissipate. He was at peace now. Everything was going to be okay. Rolf said to himself that he really hoped this was a hallucination because he had too much to drink. It isn't, a disembodied voice called out. Rolf groaned and went to go find his tent. Now, the battle... It really is a big Marvel movie finish before that was a thing. It's three days long, and we're just going to skip to the second day because the first, other than King Eric catching one of Mondal's cursed arrows in his arm, was basically a draw, with a bunch of named characters we haven't discussed yet dying, including two more of Eric's big four. On the second day, though, Mondal will crawl up in black leather armor, giving him a yellow scarf to wrap around his face. He would need it that day. For the first few hours, with Hrolf fighting and hewing anyone who stood in his way, it was a good day. I mean, not really for Hrolf, he didn't enjoy this sort of thing, but on the whole, it was good for their side. Then he saw the skeletons. The fallen warriors on either side had been raised, and they were swarming Hrolf's father and brothers. But Hrolf could see that they were holding up. They were fighting back. 
They were family, and he was proud. They were going to be okay. Hroff's smile melted, though, when the ground opened up behind Sturlog, Hroff's father, and grim ocean rose out of it. There was nothing Hroff could do, even atop Dulcifel, to get over there in time. He could only watch his father and brothers die when Grim Ocean melted them with his fire burps. The fire hit Hrolf, too, when he was close enough, and Dulcifel fled. And even though it didn't catch him, the heat was unbearable. The only reason he survived was Mondal's scarf. And, well, Mondal. As Hrolf writhed on the ground, and Grim raised his axe to bring it down on Hrolf, Mondal leapt and tackled the evil wizard opening up a hole in the ground and pulling them both inside. When the battle was called that day, Mondal was still missing. He returned after sunset, singed and bruised, but alive. He found the morning Hrolf relieved to see him, and Mondal explained that, like Grimm, he could travel through the earth. Unlike Grimm, though, he had a lot more friends underground. There was this epic dwarf battle. It was amazing. They had managed to push him back. It was the only reason Mondal was still alive. Mondal looked out on the field and breathed. Still, tomorrow, it was the final battle. It would decide everything. He groaned, stretched, and began his walk. He still had work to do. The warriors had dragged back everyone they could. But of their original number, only 2,000 still lived. There were more dead than living at this point. And Mondal had to go work his literal magic to make sure the dead didn't rise and fight for Grim Ocean tomorrow. Thankfully, they didn't. Grim raged when he learned this and shot an arrow at Mondal. Mondal shot one back and hit Grim's midair. Everyone was tired and didn't want to lose any more friends and all that but something both sides could agree on was that that was really cool. But then they got right back to it. A war cry erupted from both sides, and they charged. Grimm transformed into a dragon spewing poison. He ravaged Hrolf's army, but then he focused in on King Eric on the ground, screaming for help. Hrolf was hammering away at the shield wall, the only thing separating Eric from the warrior. Hroff was like a man possessed. He had lost so much in this fight with Eric. It would end today. He didn't see Grimm dropping from the sky, wings of darkness unfurled and soared out, or that's what Grimm thought. In Hroff's long time with William and his short time with Mondul, Hroff had learned to be just the slightest bit tricky. He turned, and with King Hragvid's sword, he sliced Grimm's sword right down the middle. Grim Ocean, though, could also improvise. He dropped his sword and plummeted into Hrolf, who, in the same way, lost his own sword. And they fought, they grappled. Grimm tried to escape, to go deep into the earth again, but Hrolf wouldn't let him. He kept Grimm up in his world, but he was starting to flag. The scarf Mondul gave him protected him from the fire and poison burps. Yes, they were actually burps, but it took a toll on him. He didn't know how much longer he could keep this up. Then, 
Krolf felt a tap on his lower back. He looked down to see Mondel. Mondel dragging his sword and also spitting on it? He asked if Mondel really just spat on his sword. Mondel said, don't worry about it. It would work now. It would cut Grimm. And it did. Rolf kicked Grimm away and, using Mondel's spit blade, sliced Grimm's tendons in his leg. The evil wizard dropped and laughed. I've laid a good many traps to kill you, Rolf, Grimm laughed, unable to stand. But I've always had the sense that it would be me and you in the end. That's why I twisted William against you. But you weren't fated to die. You'll make a name for killing me, but not before... It was then that Mondel walked up and shoved a piece of wood in Grimm's mouth. Really? Rolf was just going to let Grimm lay a curse on him? Rolf said he didn't know how any of this worked, and they had been fighting for three days straight. He was tired. Give him a break. He raised his sword to slice off Grim Ocean's head, but Mondel said he didn't want to do that. Grim Ocean was full of venomous snakes. Yes, that's a thing. Just stab him. At this, Grim actually panicked, but it was too late. As soon as Rolf pierced his heart, Grim melted like snow in a flame. Then he crumbled into dust. That was the end of the day, the end of the battle. Eric, for all of his antagonistic flexing, had been overwhelmed by Hrolf's forces when Grimm tackled Hrolf through the shield wall. Hrolf's warriors cut him off at the knees to keep him from fleeing, and then cut off the rest of him. Hrolf went to work putting things right in Hrygvig's old kingdom before returning home. Mondol never said goodbye. In all of Hrolf's searching, though, he came to understand what happened. William's ex, Gita, was nowhere to be found. It was said she disappeared from a locked room just after the battle. I'd like to think that they ran away together, but the story says that Mondel had carried her off. Whatever Hrolf's thoughts were on this, he didn't make them known, because he didn't see Mondel for as long as he lived. When Hrolf returned to Jarl Thorgny's realm, he found something of a scouring of the Shire situation. His home was under attack. Jarl Thorgny had been killed, because when he sent away all the forces to avenge Ingigerd's father, the raiders that were always circling his kingdom came in for the literal kill. The beleaguered Vikings, who had just returned from the east, did a final, final battle. And then, true to his word, to the ghost king, Hrolf married Ingigerd, who was actually happy to marry him. They did grow to love each other in time, or rather, Hrolf grew to love her, and true to his promise to himself, Hrolf never picked up a weapon again, and finally, was able to live out the rest of his life in peace. I'm going to end today's story on a quote from one translation, because I love the narrator of this work. It's from the 14th century, and they said, So here you must end this tale of Hrolf Sturluxen and his great exploits. I'd like to thank those who've listened and enjoyed the story. 
and since those who don't like it won't ever be satisfied, let them enjoy their own misery. Amen. End quote. That one was a long one, but a fun one. Next week, it's a Father's Day episode. So there are a few stories about what you should and shouldn't ask dad. No bid at the end of today's episode. This one's long enough. But we do want to say thanks. Thanks for listening. Thanks for sharing the show out there. Thanks for writing in and for your encouragement. It's incredibly meaningful that you choose to listen week to week. For those people who just started, thanks for giving it a try. For everyone that's been listening for a while, thanks for sticking with us. This podcast is over eight years old now, and it, the anniversary blew by us last month. What with, you know, the podcast. It's still just Chris and me working on it, and also the book we're writing. I just want to say we are so grateful to get to do this every day and that people actually want to listen. It would not be possible without you. Thank you so much. And that was actually longer than if I just plugged the membership, so sorry. The creature this week is Biran from Japanese folklore. Biran are, according to one source I linked in the show notes, ghostly-looking creatures with drooping features and protruding teeth. They have soft and flabby bodies with a gelatinous consistency reminiscent of jelly. I have never felt more seen by a creature on this podcast. I'm just joking. Kind of. That is where the similarities between me and this creature end, though, because it has a long tail, is a sad little slouchy dude, and enjoys scaring humans by using its long tail to caress their heads and necks. While completely unwelcome and not okay, that is all they do. So no deadly tickle fights or butter theft for this one, just unwelcome massages. If you want to get rid of them, just throw some salt at them and they'll leave you alone. Coincidentally, this works for pretty much everyone you want to get rid of. If you throw handfuls of salt at them, eventually they'll get the message and probably leave you alone. If chanting is your thing, you want to be careful with them. The chants, that is. Because, apparently, that's how Biron ended up as Casper the way-too-friendly ghost. Apparently, he was trying to use a chant to change shape into that of the Buddha, but he got one phoneme wrong and turned into this sad little monster. Apparently, this creature comes from an Edo period text that like the notes for the seventh Dune book, supposedly exists. But the public hasn't ever seen them and never will. The author, who compiled an encyclopedia of these creatures in the 70s, allegedly saw this work, but no one else has been able to find it. Sadly, he died without ever having remembered where he found it, and it's thought that maybe this creature is his creation. Regardless, if you find yourself turned into a soft, flabby creature after a ritual gone wrong, just keep your tail to yourself. That's it for this time. Myths and Legends is by Jason and Carissa Weiser. Our theme song is by Broke for Free, and the Creature of the Week music is by Steve Combs. There are links to even more of the music we used in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Thank you.